Hi there, I'm James Madeira and you're listening to the Sporting Prospects Podcast, a podcast which involves a conversation with the UK's most talented and up-and-coming athletes. Joining me on the podcast today is Tom Curtis, who is one of England rugby's most exciting sporting prospects. The 19-year-old currently plays as a fly half for Sale Sharks in England in the 20s, previous experience representing England at under 18's level. Promising fly half made eight appearances for sale in all competitions last season and is looking forward to beginning his second professional season in rugby. You've just completed your first full season of professional rugby. Uh, reflecting back, how do you think it it went overall? Are you, are you happy with it? I haven't. It's only just it's pretty fresh. Uh, we worked, obviously because of what happened with coronavirus and things like that. Gave, had that massive gap at the end of the season, and then it's, it's been kind of a rush to get the season finished. Um, I haven't really had time to think and reflect on that yet. I'm just kind of enjoying my time off. Um, but then in the next few weeks, going into the next season, I'll probably goal set again um, I don't think I've done I think everything's been positive there's not touch wood injuries have been good um, and as long as you stay fit and you're, and you're training all the time um, then I'll be in a good place and hopefully continue to get the, the chances to play and will you continue to train throughout this break this period yeah be doing a bit keep on the gym work um, staying fit but not too much. Again, it's important to rest when you get these chances. I know the plans for next season are to kind of cram it all in to try and get the season kind of back on track for next season. Um, kind of similar to the all sports are kind of playing catch up now. Um, so, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a jam packed season. So it's important now where we've got this bit of time off to to kind of take a bit of time to enjoy yourself get a bit of downtime because it's going to be full on there's not going to be much time off and once the season picks up again because you just taught me through what would be your typical day uh, in training in training um, it depends really um, we'd probably train let's say if a game's Saturday to Saturday um, you'll play Saturday you'll have the full day off Sunday um, you'll be back in Monday and that'll tends to be like a, a lighter day you're coming in the morning um, you do some recovery stuff use the pause have like a, a like a foam roll stretch session in the morning you'll have a couple of meeting meetings reviewing the previous Saturday's game um, what we can do better etc um, you'll then have another meeting like a preview meeting about your next opponent where you're sort of planning to exploit them as a team their sort of weaknesses um, and how you can play to them and then you'll probably do a light training session nothing too heavy and then get out of there and then the next day will kind of be your main training day your Tuesday um, where you'll ramp up a bit if, if there's any contact work you need to do you'll kind of do that then like a lot more running etc um, your gym stuff and then Wednesday day off um and then, yeah, if the game's on a Saturday, you'll train light Thursday, have a little team run on a, on a Friday for half an hour just to make sure everyone knows their jobs. And then you'll be into 
the next game and it's kind of a cycle like that but obviously things can change sometimes you have that's that's an ideal week but sometimes you have a midweek game if that's Europe and then everything has to change or you'll find yourself hardly training you're just literally coming in recovering make sure you know your stuff for the next game and then playing you won't actually be training much so it's weird it all depends on the schedule it's nothing's ever it, it, that's why it's quite hard to explain to people because you can never commit to kind of um, you can never commit to things because you're not sure when you're going to be training not sure when you're not you don't have a normal 9 to 5 job you it's never a set timetable no, it's always changing it's always moving you'll kind of find out at the start of the week what it's going to look like and then you'll know from there but it's not a 9 to 5 it's early mornings finish early and then you've actually got to find yourself with quite a lot of free time but yeah it's not it's not set in stone ever that in itself must be it must add an element of excitement not knowing uh when you when you're next playing not knowing how what well, well, basically you've always got to be ready for the call up haven't you yeah always got to be ready you don't know when an injury's going to come or anything like that like i said the schedule changing week to week is uh keeps things fresh exciting you don't it's not it's, it never gets really boring you enjoy what you're doing stuff so um the only time it can get a little bit frustrating is if you're not in them teams you find and, and there's a lot of games going on you kind of find yourself not training that much you're then found not playing you're not training that much so you're kind of stuck in an awkward middle part where you find yourself in the gym a lot you find yourself just running bloody up and down the pitch trying to keep fit uh, with the conditioners and that becomes quite tedious um, but you're always wanting to get in the team so it's what you've got to do definitely and Building up to a game day, obviously, if you're at home, you've got to meet in the morning. How, how does that normally run? What's the, uh, on a game the day. process? Yeah, on a yeah game again, day. it depends what time the kickoff is. If it's a if it's an evening kickoff, you'll have all day just to chill out, really. You'll meet, you generally meet whenever the time the game is, probably five hours before the game at the training ground. Um, this is a home match, of course. Um, you'll have like a pre match meal. Um, a little bit of like a stretch and then you'll be on the bus to the training ground and then as you'd expect you change your warm up and you play um, but again it varies game times are never the same it can be a midday kickoff it can be evening it can be bloody 8.30 at night and when you get off the pitch it's bloody 11 o'clock so it's um it's interesting it depends but your, your kind of mindset is always the same your routine and do you have a preference whether it be 8 o'clock at night 3 o'clock in the afternoon what's your um, I don't think I've played enough to kind of find out when when I prefer yet um, the night game is quite nice and the lights they can be good um, but again it depends what it is if it's, it depends on the game I think it depends on the game definitely and in the build up to these games obviously you're in the dressing room have you got anyone in the uh, the sale Sale team who's designated DJ, anything like that? Um, Do you ever find yourself on the tunes yourself? No, sometimes manage to get on in the gym, but dressing room, I don't really know to be. A lot of the lads just are in their own sort of zone with headphones before the game, anyway. And then if you get a good win after, anyone can kind of jump on and play what they want. But before the game, it's kind of pretty quiet. Um, everyone's in the headphones, and then as soon as you're back in from the wall that's when people are talking and stuff so there's not too much music before the game but no I'm not a, 
I'm not getting a call up anytime soon. So <laughs> you've, got, you've got to earn it, have you? Yeah, you've got to I earn it. So. Have you found uh, since you've been there, anyone use the uh, the team joker, anything like that, pulling pranks? Um, have you ever pulled any pranks yourself? No. Or had keep, pranks on you? I keep myself to so no, to be fair, no one picks on me. Um, Faf's actually quite a, a joker. Um, Is it? Yeah. He likes to joke. He's brings good energy to the, to the team. Um, Byron McGuigan as well. He's a he's another joker. Um, but you need those sort of characters in your team because when times are kind of tough, you've got you, you come off a couple of losses or something like that, and it's bloody pissing it down or whatever. You need those sort of joke. They, they lighten the day up. And they make things a bit more interesting. So growing up, you picked up rugby at the age of 12 and constantly you were surrounded by your stepdad, Dean Schofield, ex-Sale Sharks player and winner of the Premiership with them. Would you say he helped and nurtured you into the sport? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's another kind of chapter. That's where, along with being introduced to rugby at school, I think, with meeting Dean, um, probably around a similar age when I was just starting senior school. Um, I think that probably did have a, an impact as well. Um, so obviously, yeah, him being a current professional player at that time still, he hadn't retired yet. Um, I kind of got snippets of what it was like. Um, I went into training with him a couple of times. Um, I met other professional players and yeah, I think that probably gave me a big boost and kind of took me forward with where I wanted to go. And meeting those players in training did give you a, a bit of an insight into uh, what life will be like as a rugby player? Um, yeah, yeah. I knew what it was like. Dean was always coming in from training, battered and bruised up. Um, couldn't get off the sofa after games and stuff. Uh, so it's slightly different to football in that respect, kind of the physical side. Um, but yeah, I got to meet some some big some big names in the rugby sort of industry at that time. So when Dean was at Toulon over in France, um, he was there the likes of Johnny Wilkinson, uh, Matt Gitto. Uh, he was two. Both got over hundred caps. Or Matt does for Australia. Got many caps for their countries and stuff. Um, and Johnny being a fly off, which is my position, um, and obviously known for his kicking and stuff and that. World Cup winning drop goal he's a I think even if you don't know rugby you kind of know that sort of moment and that was a he's, he's been in, he's kind of one of my, my idols now um, so that was special kind of meeting him I got to do a little bit of kicking with him now and again as well um, which has helped me um, so yeah those experiences that I wouldn't have had if it wasn't for Dean have definitely kind of forged a bit of a, a pathway for me and with meeting uh, Johnny Wilkinson, can you remember any advice, any tips he gave you? Or was it uh, so long ago that it's kind no, of... No, I do. I remember it, to be fair. Um, it wasn't really... He was he was kind of in the zone with his practice, and I just kind of stayed and catched the balls and kicked them back to him. But I remember he, he said, do you want to do a little bit at the end? And obviously he said, yeah. Um, and I, I picked up these, the balls he had it too long at the time. I must have been only... 13 at the time um, and I just 
just remember thinking, bloody hell, this is a big ball, like, I can't kick this. Because um, I would have been used to playing with like size, I don't know what it would have been then, threes or fours. Um, and he was like, of course you can kick this. Um, and he said a little story about playing with, um, when he was in the World Cup camp, uh, they used to, they actually brought in some extra large balls to practice kicking with. Um, which is a weird one, so. But yeah, I remember kicking these massive balls and they're going like 10 metres and I'm really not strong enough to kick them yet, but no, yeah, he he's one of the best at what I did, so um, he definitely helped me and inspired me. So later on in life, you're getting to 15, 16, and is it fair to say that things started to get a bit more serious, especially being picked up by sail sharks? Yeah, that's kind of when... I think around that age is where you kind of have to think about specialising, don't you? Whether that's if you're in any sort of sport, that's kind of when you think, right, what, where's, where am I going to go? Is it going to be, like, you know, we, we played everything at school, didn't we? We played from cricket to football to rugby. Um, we played them all, so, yeah, athletics. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's when it probably narrowed down when... I got asked to go and train with the cell on the 15s, I think it was then. Um, that was probably when I think, right, this is like getting a bit more serious now. At the time, I thought that was like everything. Um, I remember how nervous I was going to the first session and stuff. Um, but as I kind of progressed through there, um, I think, yeah, just slowly and slowly, become everything else has kind of become less important. and focus on rugby careers probably come the main thing so how does the process work is it are you scouted or do you go to open trials um no how it works is the pathway goes you play for your club which man was stockport so when i decided to play a bit extra outside of school that was my club my granddad's heavily involved with stockport rugby club he was the chairman there um so that was the obvious choice of where to play and then from there you kind of get um, yeah I think it was Cheshire trials at the time and at that time it was split into three districts east, west, central um, across Cheshire so you play I think mine was east um, that's the one you kind of go to training sessions in and then you kind of play uh, I managed to get into that squad, Cheshire East squad, and then you play like these inter tournaments against the Central and uh, West side. And I remember it was actually at Sales training ground at the time. This is way before I was involved with Sale, and um, we played these games. And I think you have kind of the Sale academy coaches there watching and stuff. And I think from that they did a sort of selection process to create this under fifteens. It's called DPP. Um, development program something <laughs> um, but yeah so alongside that then you kind of formed a, a full Cheshire side from the three districts and, and then a kind of sales sharks training squad so I think when I was about 15, 16 they were the two focuses still playing at Stockport I'd play you'd have a period of the year where you do a couple of Cheshire games against Yorkshire Lancashire etc etc um, and then you'd train with sail maybe once or twice a week at that time not too much um, but yeah so so when you had those three things going on you were representing sail and you were representing Cheshire that was they were good times but yeah so 
so when you had those three things going on, you were representing Sale and you were representing Cheshire. That was, they were good times. So you represented Sale Sharks at under 16 level. Uh, you move into under 17s at Sale Sharks. And then all of a sudden, it's the beginning of your England career. What moment did you find out you'd been selected? Where were you? Um, you just get you get an email. Um, I'm always I never check my email, so I'm always getting messages off by some of my teammates who also are in the running now. Like, oh, did you make it and all that? And then you've got that five minutes of anticipation when you're trying to get on your phone and check your emails to see if you've made it because you don't want to say no to your mate who's just made it and all that stuff. Um, and that still goes on till today. Um, but yeah, I think it's just an email. And that's the other process with that as well. You kind of go into like your north and south training camps, um, which is where you're not going to play any games, but you kind of, it's good to be selected for because you know you're in like a, you're in the picture. Um, and then, and then yeah, I guess playing for, playing for sale and stuff, you, you kind of just get into an under 17 squad, um, where again, games don't actually start till under 18, so, um, it's a bit of a funny one with that, but it'd be good. To, it's good to be in that squad. Um, but then, yeah, ever since then, lucky been lucky enough to be in through each of the age groups with England, um, and then up until, like you mentioned, playing with um, the 18s in my first game, I think, was against Scotland, and that was a weird one actually. We were supposed to play. It was the middle of winter. I wasn't actually. I was a year young for the 18s at that time um, and we weren't, I wasn't supposed to be in that squad um, but I'd been kind of told like kind of on standby just just be ready kind of thing um, and one of the lads in my positions uh, got injured um, and I got called up to leave school um, and go up to, to Edinburgh for that camp but on game day the weather was a joke, it's the middle of winter, it's, it was honestly like a foot in snow everywhere, um, everyone was ready for the game but didn't know if it was going to happen that, that afternoon um, and then it looked like it was going to be cancelled but all of a sudden um, like Murrayfield, you know, the National Stadium, um, they kind of allowed the game to be played there so not only was it my first game for England but we actually got to play at a stadium like that on like the heated pitch, like pristine surface. Um, obviously, there was no one there, but it was that was that was mega. I remember walking out there and thinking, "Wow, like this is this is cool." I bet at that moment you get a taste for it as yeah. well, and you start to think, "If this is the start of things, where where can I see it going?" Is yeah, that kind of feeling. Yeah, you, I think like visualization then is. I think you have that. People say like you dream about that sort of stuff, and it's. It's not so much you dream about it, but you're, you're visualising where you can be and, and those sort of moments is what kind of keeps you motivated. You want to be walking out there, not with no one there, but with 80,000 people there, uh, where it's a, like a Calcutta Cup match against Scotland for, for the full England side. Um, but yeah, that was a good moment. And at what, what point does it hit you that you're representing the country, that you're, you're one of many few that actually get to do this? Is it walking into the change of room seeing that that number 10 shirt hung up or is it 
as soon as you get the email or what, what was it that did it for you? Um, yeah, I think it's, I think the moment hits when you, you, your squad gets announced, your team gets announced. Um, so you're in the squad, you go to the camps, but they'll take, how it works is they'll take 30 boys to the camp. Um, you'll train for a few days and then you'll have that like dreaded meeting where you know they're going to name the team and you know if you're not in that team you're going to get sent home um, so nothing's guaranteed until you kind of put your names on a piece of paper and you've got a shirt so when that's when that squad's announced and you and you, and you know you're in the, in the mix for the game that's when you kind of really start switching on and mentally preparing for like, what you're going to be doing Another big moment for you was leaving Chiyoyum School, which is where you're at school with me, where we met, and leaving to go to Sedba Boarding School. Uh, what was that like? What were the uh, the differences, the changes you went through there? Yeah, that was a that was a kind of a tough decision, to be fair. Because um, obviously I loved it at Chiyo. Chiyo was a great school. Um, we kind of formed a good circle of mates there, hadn't we? Um, but I think for me to that's kind of that was a big step from a rugby kind of that sort of move um, if anyone doesn't know Sebba's a really good rugby school that's what it's kind of known for um, up north up past Lancaster um, so it's a couple of hours away from home I wasn't coming home much and I knew that before I went and I was a bit funny about that because I was I was always quite of a I'd guess say like a homeboy like a like to be at home um, but yeah I think looking back on that decision it's probably one of the, I think it's probably one of the best things I ever could have done um, definitely a career driven decision would you say yeah yeah 100% at that point a career driven decision um, I knew it would improve me as a rugby player I knew boys who had uh, from like sale and stuff who had been there um, and gone who were a couple of years older and the things they had kind of said and how it helped them Um I think the exposure you kind of got there for the schoolboy games you were playing and the quality of the schoolboy games you were playing um, all year round, not just for one term, was just that sort of... That just couldn't happen at Giro. Um It's much more of a balanced curriculum at Chiro, isn't it? You go rugby one term, football another, that term, and no offence to Chiro, but just because it's such a balanced school, the rugby would I just couldn't compete with what it was going to going to Sedba so I've got no regrets about that move I met some really good mates my rugby improved um, I got the exposure I needed to kind of get open the doors for England and things like that um, so yeah it was a, it was a, it was a good time uh, with going to the school being so rugby focused how did that uh, fall into place with uh, work uh, I know for example you had to go to school on a Saturday didn't you yeah it was it's a weird one. It's a it's a very sports school, but it's also it's also it's they're onto you about your work and stuff. So that didn't really drop off. Um, I get maybe a little bit because I went now for a rugby focus. You kind of probably looking back, a regret wasn't focusing too heavily on that rugby sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, it was. But like I said, you had Saturday school to kind of make up for the lost time in the week that you have sport so like Wednesday Thursdays were half days you'd have sport all those afternoons um, things like that it, it was it was completely different um, it felt like you were involved with school you couldn't because you would live there as well you couldn't 
you felt like you didn't really have a weekend and it just all flowed through because you'd get to Saturday night, you'd, you'd done your morning school, you played your school fixtures. By the time you'd finished that, it was six o'clock, you'd have dinner, you'd wake up, you'd have Sunday to, and that was your only day to kind of chill. But as you know, on a Sunday, yeah, you kind of get to past midday on a Sunday and you're already bloody thinking about the Monday. So that I found that the toughest to kind of, you didn't get much switch off time. Um, I guess that's why a lot of people go there and they don't kind of get to think about home. So if you are someone who misses home a lot, because you're so full on there and you're thinking about things on all the time, you, can't, you don't really get a chance to sit and miss home. So you kind of chucked in right at the deep end and and that's what it's like. But that, I think that's I think that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it does it does sound very intense, and it'd definitely be a different experience mm. uh, going and living there. And um, what was what were the relationships like with the housemasters? Uh, I'm right in calling them housemasters, aren't yeah. I? Yeah. Uh, were they acting more teachers, more of uh, friendly, like fatherly yeah, figures yeah. in a way? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Um, no, I, I can only speak for my house. Um, I think there was, I think there was nine boarding houses, um, and there's all a very much there's a different feel to every single one of them um, and that's purely led on almost like a like the habits and culture kind of the house master and mistress set um, sounds dead formal saying house master and mistress I guess that's an old school way of saying it but they do become like your, uh, I guess you say less of a teacher student kind of feel and more of like a not quite a parent but you know what I mean like a someone who looks after you get like Carer and, and and you had a good relationship with yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were lucky going into the house I was in. It was had a big kind of sport focus, especially rugby. He was the house master's one of the rugby coaches, so if you played rugby, you were in his good books already. Um, he was laid back. Uh, the house had a great feel. Um, I met some some good 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 mates in that house, um, and because you're with them so much, you create like really good bonds. So yeah that's probably one of the best parts of going to a boarding school actually is the actual boarding side of things um you can imagine it's a madhouse like yeah. 50 lads in a all ages in one house um there's some chaos got caused i was i was gonna say 50 lads in in one house that would that would definitely cause carnage is there yeah. any, anything specifically you can remember any oh, crazy oh. stories you like to share with us lads were always looking for like so I was probably one of the, one of the ones who trying to cause the trouble. Um, someone would be trying to go to sleep early, trying to get an early night, but you had no locks on your doors. Your doors were your walls were bloody paper thin, so you could t- to annoy someone didn't take a lot. If your music's playing a bit loud or you're speaking a bit loud on the phone, someone can storm in and, and bloody have a go. But um, no, anything from stealing people's stuff, flipping their mattresses, like just petty things, but at the time all good fun at the yeah, time all good fun at the time. Good fun at the time I can imagine and is it a house of just 50 lads or is it mixed it's not school was mixed um, predominantly a boys school I think it was three girls houses um, but yeah you in in the house you don't get integration you get integration with the girls kind of outside the house and stuff so I can imagine a few of the lads would sneak <laughs> off at night yeah you got a few trying to sneak off 
Um, Anyone get caught in the act? Did you get caught in the act? No, no, no. Obviously, I was innocent, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's many stories of that. We'll keep that. We'll keep that quiet there. So yeah, so then into your final year at Sedba, you were named as the first team rugby captain. How big of a responsibility was that? And did that mean that you were automatically recognised by the rest of the school? Um, yeah, it did actually. It was, that is quite a big thing there. Um, there's a history and kind of a culture behind uh, the rugby team and kind of the captain and stuff. And it's not just like a, a game day sort of responsibility. It's a 24-7 kind of responsibility as captain. You've got to go off, you've got to meet people, you've got to speak to headmaster, you've got to go and speak to younger kids it's a, it's actually quite full on um, but it's something that I wanted um, one of my good friends Cam Redpath who's followed a similar path to me was um, captain in my first year um, and he again moved for sixth form like me and it's actually quite rare that a sixth form student would uh, who would just come in for sixth form would get the captaincy because normally they've built up right through the, through the teams um, but yeah I was buzzing with being named captain it's a big responsibility and we we had a great season we won everything that was to win in sort of English schoolboy stuff so um, yeah that was and again it helped me kind of bring that into sale as well with the my under 18 season of sale and moving into the first team at sale that sort of responsibility as captain kind of teaches you a lot how to how to talk to a group of players how to manage different people etc etc before you even came into the studio today to come chat with me I uh, gave your name a little google and actually it brought me to a link on YouTube uh, Raw Rugby remember the name series are you aware of this I am it's 51,000 no sorry my bad 48,957 views of just a highlights reel of you. That's that's pretty special, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Have you ever thought about it that way? I've not actually seen That's the first I've heard, to be fair. I remember watching it when it first got made when I was at school. Um, remember they messaged me asking if they had permission to kind of use some footage from um, our games and stuff. Um, and I was like, yeah, that's fine. And then a couple of months later, they kind of put that together. Um, it's quite, it's quite cool. Um, yeah, so I'm ever in need of a job, I've got, got my CD there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got some footage available for you on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's, it must, it must be pretty mega knowing that, as every day goes by, he's starting to get more and more recognised as an established rugby player uh, and how, how do you feel about it yeah um, yeah it is you see the kind of progression as you play in different teams and stuff and um, get selected for different things your, your profile grows a bit um, you add that little bit more to your CV um, yeah I kind of see in, you see it with everything in social media um, things like that views on that sort of stuff as soon as you play for like an England team um, you kind of get access to like a completely new audience with that sort of stuff um, like not just sale fans or not just people who knew you from your area you kind of go into like a 
the more national based interest level then um, but yeah it's it's good I think the more I play the more that will continue to grow so and do you ever feel intimidated by uh, this side of things so the social media aspect knowing that realistically now if you put a foot wrong a lot of people will be watching you and they'll know about it yeah I think you've got to be careful you, you always get talks on um, these sorts of things like how to behave on social media and things like that um, <laughs> the do's and don'ts because it's actually funny some good stories from this actually every time you kind of go to like an England camp um, or some of the time you get you get specialists like a lawyer who comes in I forgot his name actually but he specialises in these sorts of cases with any sportsman slip up on social media he, he, he kind of tries to sort it out put it push it under the carpet um, and he comes in with some crazy stories about it's, it's less it's less so in rugby to be fair I think you'll know that as well the footballers kind of because they're more in the limelight and stuff and the kind of the money side of things they can get in a a bit more trouble than us um, but some of the stories of like kind of like Snapchat messages Instagram messages of footballers sending stuff to, to girls and things like that and girls like then leaking it and we've seen recently with like the, the phone and green stuff haven't we um, how that's got them excluded from the England squad um, but these things lead to massive fines and stuff but yeah there's been some funny some funny stories he'll kind of come prepared with a presentation and he'll search some of the boys up at random and uh, he'll go through all your social media history and kind of try and pick out things to say in front of the whole group so you're there at that point sweating and has, any, has I, anything ever come up of you I, no luckily not I um, actually I think I've been mentioned once but some lads have even things like you like on Twitter you can't actually it's something that's got a bit of humour to it but it's a you know what times are like now anything that's slightly, some sort of dark humour yeah anything like that is, and you, if you like it then it's it's. but I think one of the funniest ones is one of the one of the boys um, actually John Stuart Lancaster the current England coach when they had a bad 2015 I think um, or I think it might have been the Six Nations a couple of years before that um, had a bad Six Nations I think he actually tweeted um, like Lancaster out or something like that <laughs> and now he's and, and I think Lancaster just left the pathway at the time um, so you, you can't be just doing stuff like that a, <laughs> that's, that's like, got to be a, one of the worst nightmares if yeah. you, you've tweeted that all those years ago but yeah you, comes back you don't remember you. like it gives you an awareness that you have to like we're not we're not like like I said you're not like hundreds of thousands of followers and things like that so we're at an okay level at the minute but you can still get in trouble um, things you do so you have to kind of it's given me more of an awareness anyway yeah and I'm sure you've got that lawyer's number saved somewhere in the, <laughs> in the phone book for no, in the no. future you may need it bail you out <laughs> what do you reckon um, so anyway so so moving on we can we can talk more things uh, to do with sail sharks now so you've currently you've played a lot this season would you say are you happy with how it's gone um, yeah I haven't played a lot but in comparison to like other people around my age I think yeah you could probably say it's more than a lot of young lads um, I've had opportunities with a couple of injuries so it's given me a, an opening which has been good in my first professional year 
Um, so yeah, those experiences have been pretty invaluable. The um, definitely as well when you've got you're playing alongside the likes of World Cup winner Faf de Klerk. He's playing at nine. You're ten sometimes. I can imagine in training that's and even in game situations that's pretty hard to uh, to imagine when you stood yeah. next to him. Yeah, you don't realise it because you're with him day to day. But outside of that sort of bubble, he is a he's a kind of like a global global, global superstar in, in, in the rugby. rugby world. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It is it is weird. I, I learn a lot from him and things he kind of helps me along with. Um, he's a great guy to talk to about any any question. Right, I, it's like that with all the lads. To be fair, anyone. Um, Robert Debris, kind of like the first team 10 ahead of me, he helps me a lot. Um, Faf, all the guys, kind of, if you need anything, they're there to help you. So it's a good environment to kind of learn in. And obviously, Manu Tulangi, he's just signed for the club. And what's that like playing alongside him in the uh, back line? Yeah, again, another very, very recognised name. He's, yeah. He says does what he says on the tin really. He's a he's a big, strong guy and he gets us on the front foot. So he's been a great signing for us. He, he's just bit, got injured unfortunately, but hopefully he's back back with us as soon as possible. Um, but again, another proper nice down to earth guy. He's there to help you, um, and he's going to add nothing but good things for our team. Do you ever get worried in training when he's got the ball yeah. in hand and you, yeah. you stood opposite him? You're he's always, charging towards you. You're always wary about um, about him, so I try and stand as far as possible unless I'm on his team. Is he probably the one to uh, stay away from on, in the training yeah, game? You don't, yeah. you don't want to be tackling him. He's the made. He's made. Like, he looks big on TV and he is big, but he's not like he's not like you know. It works in with forwards and backs. You've got a massive forwards who are crazy big um, and they're a lot bigger than him but he's just some people are just made of like granite aren't they like mm. they are just and you just bounce just, off them yeah, like, just like it's like hitting like a rock um, but yeah he's he's a he's a tough guy talking about um, big big hits big challenges I remember watching you actually live on BT Sport uh, you started the game for Sailor Sharks I'm going to have to bring it up yeah, I know you've got your head in your hands at the moment uh, around the 70th minute the big it was a big collision talk me through it yeah so we were getting it was a tough game that we we kind of put out a a bit of a mixed team um, which gave me a chance against a full strength uh, Glasgow Warriors side in the European Cup um, we were kind of out the runnings for the qualification for the quarters um so we kind of rested a few players for the Premiership. They needed the points to to kind of qualify. So they came up to down to sorry uh, full strength. Um, Friday night cold. Um, we were getting well beat, and then yeah, seventieth minute, right near the end, seventy five even. Um, I remember it was our line out. We were in there twenty two for one of the first times, um, ready to attack. I think we overthrew the line out. Um, and obviously because the 10 stands kind of the first guy off the back of the line out ready to catch the ball for 9 um, so I wasn't expecting to actually defend the ball's gone straight over kind of shot forward their hookers caught the ball um, and yeah I just tried to tackle him high and I just 
which is a foolish mistake against someone a lot bigger than that. <laughs> his head smashed my chin and I'm just like and that's as far as I remember Lights goes. Out. What, like, what was the next thing you remember? All the videos are bloody bad fit. I'm sure you can probably show it. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably a, attach um, a link to the, uh, to it's, the video. Um, yeah, it's a weird feeling. That's the first time I've ever been unconscious. Um, it's like you don't, you don't even know what's happened. Uh, I remember, I think I was out instantly on impact and then my head's kind of bounced off the floor and it's made me come back around. And I just remember I actually felt okay on the floor. Um, and I was trying to get up, like my head was in an okay place. I was like trying to get up, like I'm tr- like trying to sit up, but I'm like my body just isn't kind of working. working. Yet. <laughs> so my head just like moving. I'm like, come on, just get up. But then I remember the physios just come on, like don't move. Is it, it makes you feel a bit embarrassed because you know, like the head procedure things now, and anything head spinal related, it's like so everyone's so cautious about it. So you have to bloody lie on my back for five minutes. Um, and I just remember saying, do not put me on the stretcher. I'm walking off. Do not put me on the stretcher. I and I remember the stretcher coming on. I was like, no. Anyway, I was fine to get up and walk off. But it's, a, it's, a, it's a long walk across the whole pitch to get off the thing. Everyone's, you, it's an embarrassing feeling, to be fair. Um, it's embarrassing. But again, that's something, those sort of, sort of experiences that I've kind of had, just it's almost it was bad but I've learnt from it now yeah and it's it's something that yeah it's something that I won't do again I know and in a way it's good that you've you've got it out early got it out of the system early you kind of you know what to expect now uh, in the next coming seasons especially when you've got the biggest of guys who are running at you is does anything like that ever scare you in gameplay Um, or intimidate you or is it just the adrenaline that carries you through once you've had kind of one tackle, I think you're into the game then. It takes yeah. like a couple of like impacts and you're in, your drones up, like you said, you're into the into the game. But yeah, it is being a fire off, like you're generally one of the smaller guys on a rugby team, so you're always gonna have to face bigger guys and that it's just how you deal with that. You've got to be a good tackler, you've got to be a sound defender. Um so yeah, it's sometimes it's a bit intimidating, you've got a bigger guy, but you can't think like that, you've just got to think go alone take him out like it's a bit of a mindset thing so dive at, dive at his legs yeah something i still don't get my head around no. how you can put yourself through it and just jump head first at someone's legs it's <laughs> a bit more to it than that jumping I mean, head first yeah. i'm gonna keep your head out of the way from, from an outsider's perspective is it's what it looks like yeah yeah and then also you mentioned playing as a fly half you obviously you're doing a lot of kicking and at the point of time when you're kicking for points, the whole focus of the game is on you. How is it that you cope with that pressure and knowing that all eyes are on you? Yeah, I think as a fly-off, it's probably one of the only... It's a team game, but you have that responsibility as a, as a kicker to that kind of... The team goes out the window and that's kind of your moment and it comes like a very individual thing. Um, I'm trying to think of maybe with the hooker as well thrown into the line out something a little bit similar um, but that's a very like specialised job so everything goes silent it's all on you um, it's it's yeah it's, it's quite a high pressure it's moment very high pressure especially because those points can be crucial sometimes and a lot of the time you find yourself with kicks to win games um, things like that it's it is tough but 
it's a psychological like it's all psychological if you believe like you, if you've got the confidence that you know you you can back your ability then nothing should kind of focus because you do generally you do these kicks all the time in training day in day out but when you come to a game it becomes a suddenly a 10 times harder kick and you suddenly overthink it and as soon as you overthink that's when mistakes happen and you look like a bad kicker but it's tough um, but I think like I said the more reps you can get in those moments with the pressure with the crowd watching the better you become um, but certainly my, my, couple, my first few I was thinking bloody hell straight in front but with this like with everyone watching it's like first four is automatic what if you miss and have you you formed some kind of routine ritual before you take the kicks um, yeah you have you have everyone has a little bit of a different I keep mine simple it's just a few steps back and yeah focus on the ball focus on where you want the ball to go and focus on a good um, ball connection and if you get those key things on it's not rocket science kicking like few fundamentals if you get them right consistently get them right you'll become a good kicker I better know you being the Tom Curtis outside of rugby um, and I know your interests you're, you're into your golf aren't you yeah play a little bit how's I tried that, to play no. how's that going um, I guess the season's kind of finishing a bit now isn't it but mm. it's on and off I try every summer I try and really commit to it but don't we all yeah I didn't get very far but I'm sl- I'm okay I say I can get by definitely get, yeah you can get round okay you hit a few wonder shots you think you bloody Tiger Woods and then you hit three bloody P-rollers and you're back to square one but no it's good. it's a good pastime like I said if you finish training dead early sometimes it's just you find yourself with nothing to do so you need these sorts of things like I said Start the guitar, haven't I? Yeah, you've uh, started the guitar. How, do you, how are you finding that so far? So that's another kind of side project. Uh, yeah, another one. I've not got any musical talent, so <laughs> I'm finding it tough. But these side challenges are good. It keeps You don't always want to be thinking about your rugby and stuff or whatever you're doing. So these side things are good to just take your mind off it and relax. Definitely. You want to have things where you can just switch off and yeah. take your mind elsewhere because can't always be focused focused on yeah. on rugby at the end of the day and also I know you like going down to Abbasok a lot yeah you're keen jet skier if that's, <laughs> if that's the right word yeah I like the um, adrenaline sports <laughs> definitely that's definitely um, a, a common theme the yeah it's nice to get there very lucky that my family have got a place there um, so yeah when the weather's nice you can't really beat it down there you've been yourself haven't you it's, it's nice yeah, lovely place yeah <laughs> and we know a lot of people that go as well don't we so if you get a good group of people who are down there and the weather's nice and like you just said there we've got a couple of toys that you can get on the water so things get interesting Think, yeah things <laughs> definitely do get interesting as we've uh, we've experienced in the past I definitely I definitely think if, if you've not tried it you definitely should what are they called the Ringos the Oh yeah, yeah. Is it Job the make of them? Yeah, I think you call it, you call it Ringo. Ringo, Ringo, Ringo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Have you tried to master uh, wakeboarding? I know, I know no, we were struggling we, last time. We struggled time. with that. The knee board came out, didn't it? We struggled with that. A lot of uh, more dragging rather than yeah, <laughs> actual, actual actual towing. Yeah, we're, it comes with practice, though, doesn't it? We yeah. set that off pretty early, but 
Do you think no. ne- next summer you'll next give it a summer, go again? Next summer, golf game is going to improve and kneeboarding there, the challenges. Definitely. And also with adrenaline sports, is there anything you'd you'd like to try in the future? Have you got anything in uh, mind, a bucket list? No, to be fair, I was a keen skier. But obviously, that's had to stop now with being involved with like a professional team. Um, you're not kind of allowed to do things like that. Which is quite frustrating because I actually I love skiing. It's probably my favourite holiday. Um, so be looking, be getting straight back into that after everything's wrapped up. Um, what else is there? Um, bucket list. I don't know. Did you ever do a skydive? I've done a skydive. You've done a skydive. I've done a skydive. There you go. That's something I didn't know. No, I've done a skydive. I did a charity skydive uh, nearly two years ago now. Um, How do you find that? mega I'd do it again 100% really yeah really enjoyed it and I did it here as well and there's places you can do it all over the world isn't there um, I've got my eyes on a Dubai one wow yeah they look incredible because I was just coming through bloody clouds in England and then looking over Black, <laughs> looking over Blackpool it wasn't the prettiest but the, I honestly can't explain the feeling when you fall out of that plane like I was doing it with a mate and I remember him being absolutely petrified in the play and he was like, he was close to crying. Um, and I was, I don't know why, but I just wasn't scared at all. But then when, as soon as like, the door opened, you're sat on the edge of the plane, like it suddenly hits you and you suddenly become, oh my God, like everything's out of your hands. Cause it's not, cause obviously it's my first time you, yeah. you're doing it with someone strapped to your back. So Eric, your life is in their hands and it's just like, oh my God. But it's a crazy feeling. It's a crazy feeling falling like that. But yeah, I definitely need to do that again. Do you know how high how high up you went? No, I want to say. I think it's around twenty thousand feet. Is it? Yeah, I, that, that could be actually. Wrong. <laughs> it could, <laughs> that, could, be, could be making it up. I think it's that high. Though. Actually, is that, is that I don't know. Is that unreasonable? I don't know if it's wrong. We'll cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's um, wrong. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm keen on things like that. I'd like to, I'd like to climb. I think we had this conversation. Yeah, we maybe, did. Yeah, maybe climb some mountains, um, do things like that. I'm, I'm open to the idea of anything like that. Mm. I'm not, I'm not really too forced. I'm not scared of heights or anything like that. So, get stuck in. Okay, definitely get stuck in. I was, I was listening to a podcast with Lewis Hamilton actually the other day, and he said. He's completed his uh, scuba diving license. Is that anything you'd yeah, be interested I'd, in? I'd want to do that. I'd really want to do that, actually. Um, you need a tropical holiday, though, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Great barrier reef. You couldn't be doing that in Abbasock. No. no, not quite Abbasock. So, yeah, I want. We'll see. If I get a holiday somewhere where I'll that, then I'm sure I'll do it. So Tom, in, in 15 years time, when you're looking back on your career, what is it that you want to have achieved? Um, it's a tough question because you take, you kind of set yourself goals and a mixture of short term and long term ones, but that's a long way off. I just want, I just want to get my position in a sales team consistent first. I think that's the main focus. Um, so going into the season, try and improve on my eight games, like you said, this season. Whether that's a few more or many more, who knows. Um, and also, I've still got another year in the England 20s stuff. 
um, which I want to which I want to build on this year. So um, I'd say those two are my short term goals, but then long term, you never know, do you? You just gotta obviously the ultimate change you want to play for England and you want to play at the highest level you want to play with British and Irish Lions you want to go on those sort of tours um, but you're a long way off that you just, well, you, I say you're a long way off that but you look at like like, like Tom Curry and things who what three four years older than myself um, and their kind of quick rise to becoming an established England player and probably don't want to jinx anything but probably a British and Irish Lions player this summer um, things can turn around quick with a little bit of form so I think that's good to see just keep your head down work hard and things can come good sooner than you think so I'm not looking too far in the future just focus on sale focus on England's 20s and do well with that I think so far you've come across as very mature like you're very level headed despite only being 19 years of age and having achieved so much at this point in your career, is there anything that you'd advise younger players to start doing or any tips you could give them? Um, sometimes I think about what I would have done differently. Um, it's just, I think, especially with rugby, you can get caught up on things like the physical side of it and you can get caught up on trying to become like a, like a big big guy and a big player and, and that can sometimes distract from what's actually important and that's getting your skills right and that's ultimately like going back to what you said earlier about what people are looking for that is fundamentally what people are looking for because people understand that you don't fully develop until your early 20s you, and realistically you're not going to be at the same physical level as these top guys yet and you've got to accept that but what you can do is make sure your your skills are top notch and anything you need to get right because it's different in different positions but with me it's my kicking my passing all that stuff if that's good then you've got a great platform then to kind of build on and your physical development just comes with age as well as working hard but um, I think get your skills right and you'll be in a good place Well, thank you anyway for coming and having a chat with me. It's been a real pleasure. No worries. Thank you, Emil. And I wish you the best of luck for the uh, upcoming season. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Nice one.